Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Podcast, Paige DeMacos, Jake Arians, and Jamie Eisner, and we have a little bit of news to get into, and then we are doing offensive prop bets ahead of the big week that is happening in Miami. I'm headed out to Miami as we like in three hours, so if anybody's out there, hopefully come by and say hello. Uh, and thanks again. Obviously, I'm going to be meeting up with the Bud Light Seltzer people, so hopefully I come back with like 17 cases for the show, so that way we can uh, do our drunk history version of of this podcast with the Bud Light Seltzer and I got a couple of people that tweeted at me yesterday about different flavors that they like so I'm loving seeing all the different flavors that everybody likes and it's another beautiful day in Scottsdale it's gonna be 80 and sunny in Miami so I think both places are very much suited for the seltzer and the pool and and good times if you're in Scottsdale I'm sure you're attending waste management open and you may or may not be drinking seltzer or 20 of them you know, I'll be heading out tomorrow, and I don't think I'll be drinking any seltzer, but we'll okay. see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it all. We'll see how it all breaks out. Uh, but we're going to talk about two news items, like I said, and then get into the uh, prop bets on offense for the Super Bowl game. The first thing we're going to talk about is Bill O'Brien naming himself. Bill O'Brien names Bill O'Brien the GM uh, of the Houston Texans. This has been a long-standing joke, right, across the NFL that because of the fact that they were not having a GM, uh, that he was acting as the GM, so now a lot of people are having some fun on social media with he names himself the GM. Uh, Jake, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the dynamic here of not having an actual GM, right? Having a head coach who operates as both. We know there are obviously different dynamics amongst the NFL, but the traditional model is GM, head coach, split, all obviously working together to directly report to an ownership team, and this is different. So why is this different, and and maybe why is it a, a good or a bad thing? Well, that's the ideal situation, right? You have a head coach and GM that work together. That's not what happens in every situation, Uh, i.e. Cleveland for however long we want to go back to in Cleveland. It's interesting because Bill Belichick's really the only guy. Andy Reid had total control in Philly for a while there. There hasn't been a lot of guys that have done this. I think Parcells had it at one point. Uh, But to name himself head coach and GM and have the blessing from ownership to do it is interesting. I don't think he's done a terrible job in that role as the interim other than till he woke up and looked at his draft picks and went, oh, wait a minute, maybe maybe we traded away too many guys um, or too many picks for these guys. I, I like the Laramie Tunsil deal. I like that he got Kenny Stills with it. Um, they're handcuffed now because they're going to have to pay him and they're going to have to pay him top dollar, that uh, left tackle for Larry, Laramie Tunsil, because you can't give up that kind of capital and not pay him that contract. Same thing with the Rams and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, it depends on who he brings in. He's got to have a cap guy because there's no NFL head coach that's going to be knowing all of the nuances of the cap like that. That's, that's just too much on somebody. So you better have a cap guy. You're going to get yourself in trouble quick and you better have two personnel guys that you really trust having a, uh, a head of vice president of pro personnel and a vice president or director of college scouting, whatever you want to call it. And those guys better work together very well and do a lot of that work for you. I don't necessarily like it. Uh, I don't necessarily hate it, but it just hasn't been done at the level of Belichick by anybody else. Don't you, don't you think to a degree, though, guys, because Belichick earned that right to kind of be in that position, whereas 
Are we sure that Bill O'Brien can handle all this, Jamie? Well, I think it's more of it's unfair to compare anybody to Bill Belichick. When you have a, a yeah. unicorn, I don't think that becomes the standard. That becomes the outlier for you. Uh, to me, I, I don't it, – it, Regardless of Bill O'Brien himself, I don't like that dynamic in general because yeah. I think it could cre- create some problems in the locker room as well. When you have a GM that has to neg- that has to be the face of a financial negotiation, and then that player that that person is also in the locker room telling you what you need to do to play that game or get you up for a game, particularly if they're trying to talk you down on a contract or maybe they're franchising you and there's no line of delineation between the person that's handling your finances. And the person that's putting you on the field, good point, especially Jamie. if there's incentives involved in these kind of contracts, I think that can create some issues. And as Jake said, you have to then put a lot of other real. You have to kind of build a lot, a really strong team, maybe even stronger than normal, around you to kind of delegate some of those tasks. Because how much time can you actually spend on capology and scout and scouting and overseeing and being that CEO of the front office when you're also the CEO of your football team? Uh, and so it, it creates a lot of interesting dynamics. I don't like that for anybody. Uh, I know Bill Belichick's been able to do it successfully, but again, I, I don't think we should make – nobody should be held to Bill Belichick's standard okay. in terms of like I, – I think that is a more unlikely than likely. Look at the guys that have come and gone with Belichick. Scott Pioli, Jason Light, Ryan Pace, uh, Quinn, John Robinson. Like all these dudes were there. They're all now GMs. Or have in Pioli's case have been twice and is is now out. But like he hired all those guys that were in their scouting department that moved their way up. That were they were doing all the work for him. We all know how good all those guys are. Yeah, like that, that's the thing. Is like I, Jamie's two great points. One, Belichick earned that right. So to your other point, when he's negotiating down a contract or whatever, and I don't think he does that. I think they have cap guys that sit down and do that with the players. But Bill's involved and Bill signs off on it. But there's nobody arguing with Bill. There's not an agent arguing with Bill. There's not a player arguing with Bill. Because Bill say, I'll ship your ass out for a third round pick, Chandler Jones for a second. I, I don't, I, I don't care. I'll move on and do what I want to do because I have the power to do it. Bill O'Brien has not earned that right uh, to have the same power as Bill Belichick, but he now has it. So he better surround himself with the people that we're talking about, or it gets, it, it'll get real interesting in Houston quick. That's why I don't think that this works, right? I think the 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 reason I said that you earn that right in Belichick is because exactly what Jamie said. When you're walking in and you have to be. The, the good cop and the bad cop, basically, in an essence, where you're trying to rally your guys and then you're also trying to negotiate a contract on the other side, it creates a very bad dynamic that only Belichick we've really seen go, I'm going to ship superstar players out of here regularly. And I think the other thing, aside from obviously all the rings Belichick has on his fingers, which is the, the ultimate trump card to use in, in any of these scenarios, but... He, I think he also has that rare mix of his GM personality is his coach personality. He's the same guy. And those philosophies match where if you want to be more of the rah-rah kind of coach, it can be difficult to be that and be, again, the figurehead. Because, yes, while you have other people might be doing the heavy negotiation, ultimately when you have that GM title, people know that you're the last to approve or disprove these deals or, or these issues. So mm-hmm. it could create and- a lot of issues. I love – it. Bill O'Brien. It, That's I, not I, Bill O'Brien's personality either, right? No. I mean, he's he's beat you over the head nonstop. It's not rah rah. It's not like that. You've already seen the tension with other quarterbacks. You've seen the tension with Deshaun Watson. We've heard rumblings about that kind of stuff. That he's a hard guy to play for. It, the, the Bill O'Brien dynamic to me, just in, in general as a coach, is fascinating because there are things he does on game day that I think are just asinine. 
but are also for big portions of his tenure there, he's gotten more out of the team than their talent level, which, again, I consider to be the number one thing I look for in judging a coach from the outside. Again, I'm not in the locker room. I can't, I can't comment on any of that, that stuff. So from the outside looking in, what I can comment on is success relative to talent level. Huh. And he has had success either equal or above the talent level since he's been there. But there are also times where I feel like he's cost them games on the field with, in, in management. And again, I don't feel like anybody outside of Belichick should get this czar role, this football czar role that he kind of has. But uh, Other than maybe Andy Reid, who I think could delegate it properly. I mean, John Gruden has the same thing. He picked Mike Mayock, but Mike Mayock has the title. He's damn sure not Gruden's boss, but he has the title. Gruden still has total control. I mean, the other part, if we judge, that's why I started, I don't know if I love it or hate it. If you judge it off the job that he's done, he made this team better than they were in training camp with trades. Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, they gave up a lot. So we'll see who he hires to do this cap stuff because they could be in trouble quick. They had Deshaun Watson coming up soon. They got to move on from J.J. Watt. They got Clowney's the money back. What do they do with all this stuff? But he made them better this season to be able to make a run, right? We would all agree on that? Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah so that's why I'm like, I don't know if I love it or hate it, Here's but I, I don't necessarily love the concept for anybody other than Belichick. And I think Andy Reid would be in that same boat. But Andy's guys want to play for him, and I think Andy would pay the right guys and just play with younger guys in his system that are cheaper. He made them better, but did we ever actually believe that that team was a Super Bowl contender? No, 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 no. But I don't think they make the playoffs or even come close to winning that division without making those trades. The problem is, is they're, they're a bottom half of the league defense. They have a terrible offensive line. That's Those are two really tough handicaps to overcome. They, they are for anybody, any team, any coach, any quarterback, anybody. That is an unbelievably tough but pass. But it feels like we've been talking about this offensive line now for a couple oh, he of years some blame. since Deshaun Watson's been there. And they've drafted pretty they, terribly. They let teams on- jump in front of them. And they took a project yeah, out of I, Alabama State in the first round. Okay, so they, there's some blame to go around in the collective. And Bill O'Brien gets some of that too in the front office, previous regime and current regime, for letting teams like the Bengals jump them and take their biggest need. But I also like it. That's the weird dynamic I have in the back of my head of that. They play above their talent level a bit, but they also don't – and they Bill, Bill O'Brien made these moves to get better, but they also could have made these other moves to get better earlier. And just, it, it's like a weird dynamic where I know everybody wants Bill O'Brien – not everybody, but a lot of people, especially after that playoff game, wanted Bill O'Brien fired. It was just like I, – I, it's a complicated evaluation for me on him I, and overall. I, I think I would have been happy because I am in the camp of I wanted – I wanted to at least see something change and not him get more power. Right, I think that that after, after they're changing the defense, but I agree with you. Something it, did, it didn't look like okay, that was ugly. And we're going to give you total control of the entire organization. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. at a certain point, you have to. What did he do this year that was deserving of him getting an elevated position? When you when you get a job, and the reason you get a raise or you get a higher position is because you're exceeding expectations. I don't think they exceeded expectations, and they're in a window here with Deshaun Watson on his rookie contract where they could have negotiated a little bit more. They can make more moves. And let's see. Maybe it is this year. I just don't have faith because of how much I enjoy watching Deshaun Watson. I want to see him put in a better position to win because I don't think – I knew this team. I said, yeah, okay, they're a decent enough team to make the playoffs, but they're not a Super Bowl contender. And I think that's a disservice because I think Deshaun Watson is such a special talent that I would like to see him with a coach like Patrick Mahomes has, with a coach like Lamar Jackson has. That's the type that I want those guys to be with great coaches. And I just don't know that I believe in Bill O'Brien. 
and Deshaun I, Watson's fun, but he ain't Patrick Mahomes category. They ain't even in the same. They in the same realm of playing quarterback. He's got to get a hell of a lot better from the pocket reading defense. He's special. He's got that it factor that you cannot put anything on. So I, I agree with you and disagree with you, but he's got it. So like, let's see what it, let's see what happens. I mean, I, if you're Deshaun Watson and you don't like your head coach that much, and it's the perfect example of Jamie's original point, which was so brilliant of earning it and then what do you do when you're negotiating against players that you're trying to keep do you just say i'm gonna go hit free agency i'll play out this contract and ride it out and let somebody else pay me and go play somewhere else how many guys do that now if this is the if this is the case like, I'll, I'll play you drafted me i'm gonna play here i'm gonna play my butt off i want to win i want to be good but i don't really like you i don't really want to play for you long term and you're now the gm and i know you're going to try to lowball what i'm going to make yeah, and again, I'll, I'll go back to I'll, I'll go back to the well on these two examples here. One of them in cross sport, and one of them real life. Since I love to do this, because I think it's important in context. You, if you let's say you're negotiating with the GM at your job, okay, or or whatever the president, whatever it is, you might not like them. But if you like your direct boss, you can deal with okay. Well, I wasn't happy with my financial negotiations, but that's not going to affect me when I'm dealing with the boss that I like. When that's now the same person. Sure, if you have a great relationship, maybe that that helps negotiations. But I feel like it's more likely than not, front offices, as they should, are negotiating down on players financially. They're not lifting them up and over. That's their whole job, right? Your coaches are paid to win games and make the players perform. GMs are paid to keep them around at a better than average price if they can. It's a weird dynamic to be able to do both and how many guys stay in new england for less money to win a lot and it's new but that's new england right and that that's my point that's the only thing we could we could and and it's not fair to do it but it's the only example we have to compare it to yeah it's the only example and and for my cross sport reference this is why uh, in baseball i would say i think teams should do whatever possible to avoid arbitration because the process of walking into a in this case a literal courtroom and telling a player to his face all the bad things he does and why he's not good enough to get paid has long-term effects on the future of that player. Yeah. And by the way, the whole outcome of arbitration is they're going to give you a value based on how that courtroom goes, right? Exactly. You, you, the player's getting something regardless. It's the team's job to make it go lower and the player's make, job to make it go higher with their agent. Like That is a weird process. But you're, that's almost exactly what this is. That's a great example. I think if we, I think if we wait and we sit back and we watch how this all plays out, if I was Deshaun Watson, if they don't significantly upgrade this offensive line, I'm taking a serious consideration into what Jake said. You play out your contract and I'm looking elsewhere. Because this has been by far and away that everybody in the entire draft community goes, this is your position of need and you don't draft well. And now, yes, you went out and got Laramie Tunks. So I understand. And I didn't have to pay him a lot of money. You have had opportunities to get better and haven't made the best decisions to protect your young quarterback who needs to be protected. And that's something, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm watching this and going, yeah, I don't know. Show it to me. Show me that you want me to be here and you want me to be a part of this offense and you want me to be great. Because he isn't in the best position to succeed. And I think it will. I think it will be interesting to see how how that dynamic plays out, what he does, and if how much leeway Bill O'Brien gets. Right? If they get another year and they don't win a playoff game, how much how much leeway does he have? Because a lot of people were calling for him to be fired this year. Well, look, he's going to be in a tough spot because I I look at we look at that division. 
Tennessee, assuming they re-sign Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, are going to be contenders. Yep. Jake and I talked a lot, and you have as well, Paige, about the Colts have a ton of money to spend. Yes, they do. And there are a lot of really good football players at literally every single position yeah, out there out at free agency right mm-hmm. now, uh, especially the quarterback position, which I think given the way that Jacob uh, Jacoby Brissett played in the second half of the year is a an area of need immediately. Uh, that could be a really, really interesting division where – I would not be surprised if we go into the season having the Texans third in that division. Yep. And that's that's where I, I look But at I think he just bought himself a three or four year window of doing this. He has to, right? You don't you you're not promoting him to the GM spot to then fire him after No, because yeah. and he's not gonna fire himself as the head coach and be the GM. So you <laughs> highly just highly unlikely. Hot, yeah. Well like so if he was on the hot seat and you hired a new GM, that coach probably has one year, right? And he better win. That's not the case. He just bought himself three or four years to see how this thing plays out. And it's either gonna be the new thing and a trend. And something agents and, and coaches are going to want to do, or it's going to fail, and it'll still only be Belichick that's doing it. Yeah, I hope it. I want to say I hope it fails. I hope it fails because I think the dynamic that exists gives more opportunities to people who want to coach and be around in football. And if we start this trend where we're going to have less people in the front office, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, and, and I think Belichick is an outlier. He's a unicorn. He's not the standard. He's not what we should be trying to trying to replicate. And we've learned that. A lot of times when people try and do that, it fails miserably because. No, and by the way, I just named seven people that have been through there as scouts that grew up in that organization that became personnel directors or whatever. They're now GMs everywhere else. Like he apparently, whoever's running that, if it's him or whoever that he hired, is doing a hell of a job of getting young talent and building them up. Of course. And I'm sure he's, they're all gleaning a ton of knowledge from what is a football savant in Bill Belichick. So good luck trying to recreate what is what is happening there. Speaking of New England, there is a retirement of Dante Scarnecchia, who has been in the league with one team for 34 seasons. That is a long, incredible career. And I wanted to mention, Jamie brought it to my attention, we have to talk about this because one, to, to coach, to be in the NFL, in any position, for 34 years is incredible. To be a coach for 34 years is incredible. To be with one organization in the NFL for 34 years is insane. Yeah, it's nuts. That, that is, it's unbelievable. It's, it, they're going to miss him. I'm sure he is a very vocal aspect of this locker room and, and this organization. And kudos to him because, Jake, you can talk about this. 34 years coaching, that is, that is, a, great, that is a great feat for sure. 34 years, you described it perfectly. It's incredible, and it's insane to be in one place. Hell, it's insane to be there for four years anymore, or my whole lifetime, right? Like, you're a coach's kid. You're gone. Every, the average is every three or four years you're moving. 34 years, and not to mention the best probably to ever do it at that position. This is a giant loss for them. You cannot replace that guy. I don't care who's been with him for whatever is the assistant. They're taking over. This is a giant loss for that team, who at times this year – we're not very good offensively on the offensive line because they had the injuries, but he's coached up a bunch of average dudes to be really good in front of Brady for a long time. Like, this is a big hit, big hit, but unbelievable career and, and definitely one of the top few guys to ever coach offensive line. Yeah, and I think that this is just – I think the loss might be undersold uh, by some, uh, just how big of a loss this is. To me, this is a cornerstone loss for them. This is one of – and we start to look at this couple, this two- or three-year period now – uh, the one and done playoff run. Uh, maybe this is maybe we've seen the last pass from Tom Brady as a Patriot, or we're going to see it in the next year. 
Uh, how far away is Bill Belichick from retiring? Once that that goes, I think this is one of those cornerstone pieces that we look back at this two or three year window as the end of the New England dynasty. And I think Dante Scarnecchia need is a huge cornerstone piece in that in that whole structure of and course. in the, and and in the downfall of boy, you had a hell of a run, but it's starting to get we're your best days are behind you in terms of, of that, where that franchise is going. So I love some of the anecdotes I've seen of players that left and for agency went somewhere else and were like. The, and they're talking about the new offensive line coach. Is like, whatever Dante told you, just do that. Like, I'm not even going to coach you. I'm just whatever he coached you before, just do that. I'll, I'll coach around it. But whatever he told you, we're good. I, well, like, that's, that's simplifying things, but that's literally there's anecdotal stories of guys that are saying that now that he's retiring about how unbelievable he was and how he was looked at in the NFL community by other offensive line coaches. Well, that just tells you the legacy, obviously, yeah. of who he is and the trust that other coaches who we know in this league, everybody has an ego. That is an unbelievable thing to do to be able to say that other coaches are going, you know what? I don't need to teach you anything because you've been taught from the absolute best. And I think Jamie brings up the biggest point of this whole thing. Yes, it's a congratulations on his career, but this feels like it's the It's change. big. It's big, right? It, it feels like for a long time – the identity of this football team has been played really good defense, and they're going to put an offensive line out there that's going to keep Tom Brady upright because that is how that guy has been able to play till 42 because he doesn't take a lot of hits. And when they get through, he drops to the ground. And it's self-preservation. You can call it what it is. It's smart because that's the reason he's still playing. And that's the reason he's still in, in the shape that he's in. And this feels like – it, it's the it's the final we've talked about it we we don't want to overstep and go because it feels like for the last five seven years people have been waiting for this to happen no, but, but this is different we, right we're legitimately having a discussion of whether the patriots will take tom brady back that's like, what I mean, i'm saying this it's is different. a different era it's different. it's different i mean it, father time's undefeated yep. i mean in this yeah, we're talking about if jared stidham is the heir apparent yeah. To, Tom, to Tom Brady, other than the fifteen guys that are available this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it, it, this is it, it's it's time. It's getting there. I mean, again, today I'm still probably assuming Brady comes back, going to pick them to sneak it out in the AFC East, but yeah. that doesn't mean that this is a Super Bowl contending team anymore. But we'll see. But again, don't under and then I know we talk about coaches a lot, but don't underestimate the value of just elite positional coaches in any sport. Yeah, because they will not replace this guy. No. There's no, no replacing him. There's nobody that's going to be on the same level. It's impossible to replace the knowledge. Jake talks a lot about Tom Moore and what he brings and the knowledge that people that spend this much time around the league, it is impossible to recreate that. They forget stuff that we that we will never know. I mean, that's like there it's 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 just impossible. And and this feels like when when you brought it up today, Jamie, I'm like it fine and I want sorry Boston, but it finally feels like it's over. It finally feels <laughs> it, it's crumbling a little bit, little bit by little bit. And I'm like Jamie, I'm not oh. saying I'm not saying oh it's over this year, but it's it's I can see it in the horizon that the, the time is over. The and dynasty's over. The dynasty. still well, going back to going back to our GM conversation, uh, Mr. Belichick, who we were just praising, definitely has his faults, and he has damn sure got his work cut out for him. I don't know how their salary cap looks. But they need to help that offensive line. They need weapons everywhere. They're getting old. That defense looks good, but they got guys they got to pay over there too. Oh, it's yeah, he's got his work cut out for him this offseason. They have a lot of changes. This is going to be a fun team for us to evaluate from a what do they do from a free agency standpoint because there's a lot of holes that potentially could happen, especially 
if Brady doesn't come back, then all of a sudden this this whole dynamic changes. Not and, to mention a top five uh, special teams coordinator that's now the head coach of the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, exactly. and we talked about when Joe got the job, Belichick leaned on a ton for situational football, who's been with him for, what, seven or eight years. That's a big loss, too. That's yeah. two giant losses off this coaching staff. And the reason they were so good this year was because their defense was elite and their special and their teams schedule was, was elite. Their schedule was elite and the, their special teams was more elite. They played their special teams was very, very good this By year. By the way, I mean, he replaced Brad Seeley with Joe Judge. And Joe was nobody at the time. It turned into a damn good special teams coordinator. But Brad Seeley at the time and still is one of the best special teams coordinators in the league. I mean, Bill Belichick's had two of the best for his entire career there. Yeah, he's, he's got he's now replacing that again. Like, he's done a hell of a job of doing it in the past, but I'm saying, like, it's, it's work is still cut out for him to do it again. Yeah, he's, he, that, his work is definitely cut out for him uh, this offseason. All right, guys, let's get into a couple of these prop bets, uh, offensive prop bets. On Friday's show, we will preview the Super Bowl – uh, in all its in all its glory, because I refuse to talk about that game on every podcast this week and last week. I know that if you listen to the radio, you're hearing seventeen thousand different angles, and that's why I don't. That's why I refuse. So to, much noise. That's why I refuse to talk about it because the reality is, I have heard people change their mind like seven times since last week, and it's like I don't want. I want you guys to take the whole two weeks to evaluate. Wait, Friday preview, see what the line is, and go into the weekend knowing everything, having all the knowledge. So that's what we're going to do. If you're looking for that Super Bowl preview, like I said, that's going to happen on Friday. We're going to go through, run through a couple of offensive prop bets because this is the best time for gambling. It's there are, you can literally, quite literally gamble on anything that happens in the Super Bowl. It is the most insane thing to look at, all the different things that you can bet on. Um, But we're going to talk about quarterbacks first. The first thing that I wanted to talk about is the over-under on passing yards. So I have that for both quarterbacks. We'll start with Patrick Mahomes. The over-under on his passing yards is 295 and a half. Jake, do you see that going over or under? I see it going over because San Francisco is going to play zone and they got to get there with the front four. I think they're going to get there some. I don't think they're going to get there enough. And if they're not getting there, then they're going to have to switch to man and then I don't know how they're going to cover those four or five guys. Patrick Mahomes is going to get his. I don't think they're going to try to run it enough for him to throw for under 300. So I'm going to go with the over on that. I'm going to go with the over as well because this is not a game to get cute. The Niners are going to shut down the run. Damian Williams has been good for them, but he's not one of the 15 best running backs in football. They don't have an advantage there. You're going to have to throw to win this game, and you're going to have to trust your best player and the best player in the world to win you this Super Bowl. So, no, I imagine Mahomes is going to throw a ton. And, by the way, that spot opposite of Richard Sherman has been beaten – like a drum for a while. <laughs> By the way, going back to Seattle days has been yeah. beaten like a drum. Yeah. By the way, Richard Sherman ain't covering Tyreek Hill. Yeah. So, so that safety, that safety's rolling that way. So somebody else is going to be big on the other side. Yeah. Or Travis Kelsey or uh, there's, there's going to be, there, there, there'll be enough to go around in this game for, for Mahomes. I'm taking the over. All right. You're taking the over. Let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo's over under on here. His over under is 239.5 on his passing yards. Uh, especially because he didn't really have to throw the ball a whole lot. If you watch that Green Bay, that NFC Championship game, he wasn't having to do a whole lot. Jamie, I'll let you go first here. Are you going to have the over or the under on this one? I'm going to take – this is close for me. Yeah. Because I think that this is going to be – I mean, it always is. But this is going to be game script dependent. Because I, I think ideally the Niners would like that to be under. But I don't think they're going to have a choice. I'm going to take the slight over because I think they're going to have to keep up offensively. 
you can't you can run on Kansas City a little bit, but they've been a lot better rush defense, like they were overall defense the last half of the year. Uh, I think they're going to need Jimmy Garoppolo to play to uh, play at a high level in order for them to win this game. So I'm going to take the over. I agree. Yeah, I think they're going to have to they're going to have to keep up. Kansas City's going to get theirs, and they're going to stop the run enough or slow down the run enough. The question is, can Jimmy G do it from the pocket without play action? That's the only way he's getting over. I think he does do it enough to get over, and I think they got. I think they keep it close. I think this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to talk about this game on Friday where we really analyze what's going on, but I think he barely gets over that as well. I think he's closer to 250. All right, two of the, two of the more interesting uh, players in this game are not the running backs or the wide receivers. It's the tight ends. These two teams have two guys, probably number one and number two. Can't imagine you'd put anybody else in the category with these two. And they're really close on their over-under here, on their total yards. So we'll start with George Kittle. Jamie, his over-under is 70.5 yards. Do you think it's going over or under? I think I'm going to take the under here. Uh, they've he's like it's not that it's not a talent issue with him. It's just more of I think he's going to be the key focus. You're not Manuel Sanders hasn't played well in a while. Uh, there, Debo Samuel's kind of come up, but kind of went back down there. I think George Kittle is should be and is going to be the major focus. And they're going to say we're going to need Jimmy Garoppolo to beat us with outside wide receivers. We're going to force him to throw to the outside. So I, I think they're unless they're just going to start force feeding. 13, 14, 15, 16 targets to George Kittle, which, by the way, they have done before. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be unheard of. Uh, I think that total is going to go under. I, I just I, – I, this I'll throw this out there that I might pick Tyron Matthew to be my MVP of this game. But I'm going to take the over here. And Ty's the one covering him a lot of times. And he's just too physical of a matchup. I mean, if, I, Kittle's getting 10 targets regardless. And there's if he does, there's no way he's not getting 70 yards. He's not getting hit and dropped right where he catches the ball, even though I think Ty's coverage will be really good. It's not a good matchup physically, uh, and he's their best player. And best players shine in the Super Bowl. I, I think he goes over. All right, over for you guys are split on that one. All right, Travis Kelsey, his over under is a little higher than George Kittle, seventy seven point five yards. Jake, I'll let you take this one first. We all know Travis Kelsey had has had a nice playoff run here. His his season was quieter than expected, but still fantastic considering what he what he's done. But He's been great in the playoffs, and 77 yards is one of those things you can see happen on one play. Do you see that happening, and do you have an over or under on this? I'm going to take the over, and the biggest reason why is, I already said, they're going to try to get there with that front four and play zone, but Travis Kelsey and Mahomes have a crazy chemistry when it comes to sitting down in a zone, and you've seen the highlights on the sidelines. Like, dude, you threw it before I even knew what I was going to do. Like, They have that kind of chemistry. If they're going to play zone, they got really good linebackers, uh, Jaquiski Tart. I mean, they got good safeties. Ward, but I, they don't have guys, if they're going to play zone, that can match up enough to keep him under that. I'm going to take the over. Yeah, I agree. I take the over as well. I think Kelsey has a big game there. And I think just, just the way these, again, it, it's not a talent issue on the San Francisco side. They've got plenty of guys now in the in the off ball linebacker and, and safety group. They have a ton of really talented players, even guys that are coming off the bench. But Kelsey's going to have to be, I think Kelsey's going to have to be Kansas City's best pass catcher in this game. Uh, and I think he's going to be the most consistent. And they're going to need Tyreek Hill to, 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 to get over the top. But Kelsey, I think, is going to have a game very similar to that first playoff game. Maybe not all those touchdowns, but very similar in the way they're going to use him, especially in the red zone. Right. Yeah, I think Tyreek Hill is going to have to do a run after the catch because they're going to roll the safety that way because they know they know Richard Sherman can't run with him. He's going to run right by him. So if, here's another thing to, to mention, too. be really interesting was when you're playing this defense, whether it was in Seattle or this version of it now, and you're watching Richard Sherman, do the officials throw flags in the first quarter? 
do they do they hit him with a pass interference or a hold? Because if they do, you're going to get him big later on. If they don't, when Tyreek Hill goes running right past him, because he can't run with him, nobody can. But Rich Sherman is got this crazy unique ability to hold and get away with it. If they throw a flag early, Kansas City, all of these numbers are going over. Yeah, it's that's a it's a really good point. And Jake, it's something you and I used to talk about when when your dad was coaching in Arizona. Uh, was if you paid attention to how the game was called early when you were playing that Seattle defense, you could always tell what was going to happen, right? And it's something hasn't changed. If you watch this defense, specifically Sherman, because Sherman is pushing all the time. He, that's just how he plays. He's very physical. And a lot of times the refs let it go. Um, and I've kind of gotten used to it, and I kind of like it, to be honest with you, because if you're a wide receiver, you just know what to expect going into it. But if they get, they get choosy on their calls – Something to pay attention to because then all of a sudden it opens up that offense to to get into a rhythm potentially. The last one here, guys, wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, his over-under, the highest of the bunch, 79.5 on the over-under. I know it feels like it, the thing with Tyreek Hill is he can – this can be a Patrick Mahomes, one shot, 80 yards downfield. He, he, that, that's how we've watched this offense. But 80s, 79.5, that's a lot of yards. Jamie, I'll let you take this one first. You're going to go over or under. So he's either going to clear it by 60 or fall 40 short. I just yeah. have to figure out which one. <laughs> yeah. the over. I'm going to take the chance just because he is their big play guy. They're going to stretch the field vertically, but they're going to stretch the field horizontally as well, especially if they roll Sammy Watkins to Sherman's side more often than not. Uh, I'm going to take the over there because, again, it, it's Hill. If he is just, you just got to break – if he breaks one tackle, you, you can hit the so, over right then and there. Yeah, I'm going to take the over, and here's why. This stupid pop pass, which is – a shovel pass is now a pass and not a run. They don't they don't run this jet sweep as a handoff anymore. This is just like catch it chest pass. And if if the end doesn't set the edge and he breaks, as Jamie just said, breaks one tackle, makes one guy miss, it's 40 or 50 right there. Yeah. So I'm going to take the over. The other reason why is I think he's going to run past Sherman, and I don't care who the safety is. If Patrick Mahomes makes one of those defensive ends miss and buys himself a little bit of time, you can't cover Tyree Kill that long. No, it's 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 going to be uh, – I'm really excited to preview the game. I'm glad we waited. I'm glad we didn't uh, get into it at all. Me too because I'm going back and forth on what the hell I'm thinking is going to happen. That's why, that's why I'm excited because there's so much to get into with these teams and it's two great coaches and there's two – like great quarterback, great defense. It's it's There's a lot to get into and it's going to be really, really fun. And like I said, I'm, I'm excited because I'm, I'm going to be in Miami – I'm going to see what the vibe is like out there. The weather I, looks like it's going to be good for the game, so we're not worried about the rain we were talking yeah, about. So we're going to get the game we want. Yeah. It's Saturday, but it looks like it's going to be cleared up on Sunday, which is awesome because I, I, I hate the – and maybe I'm alone on this, but I hate when the weather plays elements in the Super Bowl because I want to see everything even for everybody. Yeah. And it's the one game where I always think – can we just make it in places that have the ability to have the dome? Like I just, I always want that to be the the deciding factor because I want, I, I think this game specifically is the one game where we should just see the best version of everybody and playing in the rain in the humidity in Miami would not be fun for anybody. Especially when you have the two best teams, right? We all, we all agree this is the best Super Bowl outcome we could have gotten. Absolutely. Number one defense, number one offense. The matchup's great. You don't want it screwed up by weather. So it's awesome. It looks like it's going to be good. No, it it looks like it's going to be really good, and I'm I'm very excited about it. Uh, Jake, do you have any parting thoughts on today's podcast? Yeah, I'm now really confused uh, (laughs) about what I'm going to do. I I think I actually talked myself into what I'm going to pick Friday, but it's going to be really interesting to break this down 
fully uh, who's who's got the better offensive line, special teams, defenses, who's playing better, pointing out some different stuff, and then picking this game. It's going to be fun, but I'm, I cannot believe we're talking about Super Bowl Sunday already. This has flown by. I know. it's The season feels like it went by in a blink. But before we sign off, I have a couple other more like exotic prop bets I want okay. to kind of go over. This is available. Exotic? On- you got the national anthem over under here? No, no, not that stuff. I mean, more, these, are more, <laughs> these are cross-sport ones, which are very interesting. So you're going to have to wait till the end of baseball season to cash these. But this is insane. This these, is these so are good. Fun. So, so these good. Are, these are available at the Westgate Sportsbook in Vegas if anybody is near there. Um, so there are two I want to talk about. One is the all-Kansas City one, which is Kansas City. Who has more? Kansas City Royals regular season wins or Kansas City Chiefs rushing yards minus 24 and a half. So, okay. so, uh, uh, so to me, uh, that my bet is on Kansas City's rushing yards. I think the Royals are about a 60-win team. So that means KC's just got to get to 85 total yards on the ground from everybody okay. on the thing. So I think right. they can do that. That's a good bet, though. That's tough. That's, that's a tough one to look at. It's close. It's close. Um, but I think the Royals are going to be in the low 60s in yeah, terms of wins. So yeah, not a good The Chiefs team. can just get to 90 total rushing yards as a team. Quarterback, running back, everybody. Uh, they should be able to get that done. Uh, and the one that I think is a lock um, is Mike Trout 2020 regular season home runs versus Patrick Mahomes passing attempts. And then Patrick Mahomes passing attempts minus one and a half. Uh, Trout home runs. Trout's, Trout's going to hit 40-plus home runs easily, probably about 44. Patrick Mahomes has been kind of in that, like, 35-ish pass attempt range. Yeah. I don't see him getting to 50 in this game. And I think that Mike Trout has a decent chance to get to the okay. upper 40s. Uh, I like that bet, Jamie. So That's it, fun. If Mike Trout hits – what I, I haven't projected for 44 this year. I'm doing my fantasy baseball stuff. I haven't projected for 44. That means if Mahomes has 45 or fewer attempts, you would win that bet if you take Trout. And I'm going to take that. Yeah. I like, like that one too. That's fun. That's so, a that's a really fun bet. Those that's, are interesting. And there's a, bu- there's a bunch of different – there's like Jimmy Garoppolo completions versus – you know, San Francisco, uh, Garrett Cole wins. That's one wow. this year. So there's there's some really interesting stuff out there. If you really I'll take the completions on that one. Yeah. You have to sit. I, I agree as well. You have, to, you have to sit a little bit on there until the end of the baseball season. But there's some really exciting prop bets there that there's still money to be made. Especially- it makes regular season baseball have a lot more fun. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I was going to say, you want to spice up baseball season a little bit. That uh, That's a good way to, to get into that because that seems like – that seems like some fun ones. I, I think those. No. I think so. Those could be really good. Uh, my my parting thoughts are: send me all of your recommendations for food in Miami. That is my parting thoughts on today's podcast because I definitely want to try something authentic to Miami. And Other I than Joe's, because duh. Yeah, yeah, I know that Miami has great food, so feel free to send me all of your recommendations, please and thank you, Jake. How can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B Arians on Twitter. Jamie? You can follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter. And you guys can follow me th- at the underscore sports page with an I on both Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out thedraftnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 